3CR 855am digital, 3cr.org.au and on demand. Thanks for tuning in to Out of the Pan, a show covering pansexual issues, knowing no boundaries of sex, gender or relationship diversity. 3CR broadcasting from the lands of the original inhabitants and acknowledging elders past and present, including LGBTI elders, in turn including sister girls and brother boys, and acknowledging their unique contributions to diversity on and around our land. Today's program is part one of a panel discussion that happened on 27 July 2015. Um, it was at the context, and I only mention this to give it context, was a fundraising panel discussion put on by the Australian Equality Party called Are We Over the Rainbow Yet? Well, various responses, as you'll hear this week and next week, in relation to this question. I'll just leave it run for the day. You can dive in. I'm going to give warnings for cis-privilege and probably male privilege um, in this program and also for next week as well when you're tuning in. Um, I'm just going to leave it run and let it play because um, we've got to do it. Over then to the Are We Over the Rainbow panel, part one, recorded on 27 July 2015. Tonight's uh, moderator is a senior lecturer at the University of New South Wales in Canberra. She's a policy advisor, academic. She's published some three books and has been at the forefront of the ACT uh, reform, law reform process, which removed all forms of discrimination and garnered uh, family recognition for those within our community. Will you please put your hands together for Dr Lindy Edwards. But it's fantastic to see so many people here. I want to welcome everyone uh, on behalf of the Australian Equality Party for what promises to be a fun and informed discussion about the ways that we can bring positive change. Before we begin tonight, I'd like to acknowledge that we're meeting on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and to pay our respects to their ancestors past and present. Now, to introduce our panel, starting perhaps appropriately from our right. Sorry, Tim. We have Tim. We have Proudly. Tim. <laughs> uh, we have Tim Wilson, the Human Rights Commissioner and long-standing stalwart of the Institute of Public Affairs. Sure. Classical Liberal. There you we have Will Trackey from Victorian Trades Hall, the Victorian Trades Hall Council. We have Seth and Raj, a writer, academic and LGBTI advocate. We have Sally Goldner, the Executive Director of Transgender Victoria. And we have Jason Twaza-McSheen, leader of the Australian Equality Party um, and the person whose extraordinary work is what, the key reason we're here tonight. We have Noel Tovey, a dancer, actor, director and Indigenous LGBTI activist. We have Lars Engstrom, a leading thinker and business consultant on issues of gender, sexual equality, inclusion and human... Oh, sorry. You haven't noticed me. <laughs> sorry. It's strange that I'm over improved. here on the left. Yes. <laughs> yeah, sorry. And Will's out here on the right. Yes. <laughs> you know, we're mixing it up. We're all getting in there together tonight. No misgendering. <laughs> I'm sorry, Christine. Um, Christine Forster, um, councillor of the City of Sydney, and of course, her brother sailed to the lodge on her coattails. Lars Engstrom, a leading thinker and business consultant on issues of gender and sexual equality, inclusion and human rights from Sweden. And Rodney Croom, um, who I'm sure needs no introduction to this audience, from Australian <laughs> Marriage Equality. 
you were invited to submit questions to our panellists through the Australian Equality Party website. Um, we were inundated with questions, lots of really fantastic questions, and we've endeavoured to organise them so as to be able to answer as many of them as we possibly can tonight. For many of us, these issues cut quite deeply into our sense of safety and they provoke strong feelings. One of the reasons we sometimes disagree is because we build our sense of safety differently and what feels safe to one person feels very unsafe to someone else. I want to ask everyone to take care of one another tonight. Even if you can feel yourself inclined to say something that might threaten someone else's sense of safety, please bite your tongue. Let's aim for a polite, friendly, funny exploration of the issues where our goal tonight is to find ways where we can work together to create a better world for all. All righty, so if we can get underway, have we got Sam Blake? Um, as someone who's been involved in the LGBTI movement longer than anyone else on this panel uh, and possibly in this room, what do you think is the most significant achievement of the LGBTI community to date? And would the other panel members agree? Well, the most important... Um, if you'll... How about I say it again, um, if that works? Um, oh, sorry. Um, to paraphrase, um, Sam was asking Noel as the longest standing member of... Uh, of the, you did it much better than me, um, was asking Noel what he thinks the greatest achievements of the movement have been. The most significant change that I've seen um, that the LGBTI community have achieved is finally making the government of Australia realise that we are human beings. Would any of the other panellists like to come in on what they think have been the, the significant achievements? Well, I think the um, legislative changes that were enacted by the Rudd government after the Howard government um, decided to put them on the shelf from the Human Rights Commission that I think changed 78 or 80 laws some years ago were very significant and allowed most of us to feel like we're equal when in the reality we're not equal. Rodney, did you want to come in on that one? Um, can everyone hear me? Okay. That's good. Yeah. Okay. Um, as someone who, like other people here, I guess, grew up uh, as a criminal, in, in my case in Tasmania, because I was in a relationship with another man, um, I guess I just find it extraordinary when I look back at how rapid change has been. Going from the point of being excluded from the society that shaped who I was, because of who I was, to the point now where the big discussion is to the extent to which we sh should be or can be included. Um, that is the most extraordinary change in my lifetime uh, in only the last 3, 10, 18 years. Um, the end to, to the idea that it's okay to spout hate in public, if you're a public figure, um, that was so common when I was in my 20s and yet now it's become uh, 
uh, verboten. Um, but yeah, to the, that we've moved to the point now where Australia is debating the extent to which we can be included and we hopefully soon uh, is able to say yes, even in core institutions from which you've been so strongly excluded in the past, like marriage, you belong. That is just extraordinary. Pretty much echo what others have said. I, I really feel like we have turned a corner and we're on the right road after sort of, well, sort of, say, blundering through the forest a bit for a long time. I mean, for myself, someone who's been out 20 years, couldn't walk anywhere in inner Melbourne without getting, I say with tongue wedged firmly in cheek, coming out one of your highly intelligent comments like coming out of car windows like, you got the wrong clothes on, love, you know, that sort of riveting stuff. And now the fact that we, you know, people in terms of trans and gender diverse people aren't saying, oh, well, you know, oh, how, you know, should we do the change we need? It's how do we do it? And that is really exciting. And I would honour it in relation to what Noel said. As someone who delivers ageing and aged care training, the, you know, I'm very mindful of what our seniors have been through. And it's really heartening when we get good media on trans. You see some of the, say, the 50 plus people going, Wow. It really has turned. We didn't go what through. We went through in vain, and that's just cathartic, I think, and that's really cool. Someone who was in jail, charged with the abominable crime of buggery when I was 17, when the death penalty was still on the statutes of law in Victoria, I just want to say that I think we've made enormous changes. In the 50 years... I could talk all night about the changes, but it was brought home to me um, on a crowded tram the other day when I lived quite near the uh, girls' grammar school and two young girls were having a heated discussion and one said to the other, but darling, she is a lesbian, you know. Well, I think it's amazing that a young person can actually feel free to use the word lesbian. Yeah, look, I'd certainly agree that um, obviously the decriminalisation of homosexuality and the, 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 the work that the community has done to end discrimination, to, to fight discrimination, but I'd also think that one of the greatest achievements of the LGBTI community was the way it galvanised uh, the response to the HIV-AIDS crisis in the mid-1980s and, and really brought governments all around the world uh, on board with, with the reality that this was a disease that, that, uh, that didn't discriminate um, and that needed to be... Uh, that the, the victims, uh, the sufferers of, this, of that disease, which, as we all can recall, was, was a terrible time... Uh, that, that they needed to be treated fairly and to be given the right and full access to, to the health care that they needed and still are, are getting today all around the world. So I think that was really a very significant achievement given the, the climate of fear that came with that outbreak of, of HIV-AIDS in the early to mid-'80s. Well, I helped set up the first AIDS training clinic in London where we brought in nurses, doctors, priests from all, people from all walks of life and tried to dispel the myths surrounding, you know, I lost my lover yeah. of 17 years. And congratulations to you for what you, you know. achieved. And it's a fight that's still going on, of course. Oh, it is. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, one important thing 
that we had um, experienced in Sweden, and it's uh, just few, some years ago, 2006, we had a right-wing government, and uh, two of the ministers, uh, one was openly open gay, openly gay, uh, living with a man, and the other one uh, told the press and media that he was bisexual, and that was uh, a really big thing, and. Uh, it also tells you that this is not a left or right-wing question, I think. It's something that goes all over the political scale. But it was very, very important that these guys talked about it because um, role models has uh, a very important function, I think. Did you want to come? I would just say that... Um building on Rodney's comments, the greatest achievement is within ourselves. Um, if you look at the outstanding work that was done in the 70s and 80s to repeal uh, the laws, particularly around homosexuality, that made it unlawful, that has started in many ways a uh, public visibility and awareness around um, same-sex attracted people. And not just that, it has... Um, provide a pathway as well for more engagement and understanding about trans and intersex people, or that's taken some time, I might add. But the great achievement is the normalisation of same-sex attracted people and the fact that, uh, and I put this in, in, in my personal context, um, I came out 17 years ago, and one of the challenges of coming out 17 years ago, um, at least from my perspective, was the uh, realisation and... Uh, uh, reconciliation you had to do internally that you're probably never going to have kids and you were never going to get married. Uh, now my parents keep asking me when it is I'm going to get married and when it is I'm going to have children. <laughs> and now it's a societal expectation that we are, for want of a better phrase, normal in the way that people would ordinarily talk it, and we go on and live um, ordinary lives, comfortable, safe lives, um, so that we can reach our full potential. So I think that's our most significant achievement to date, and there are lots of reasons that that's been achieved. But I think, of course, I'm an optimist which looking at the achievements we'll have in the future. And once we're over a few of the hurdles that are coming, um, and I'm very much looking forward to those hurdles being over, and I pay acknowledgement to everybody in the room, including on the panel, who's making contributions to those panels, um, the achievements I think our community can have when we stop having to dedicate our energy towards achieving basic equality before the law, basic respect and basic dignity, and being able to contribute our full energies towards the development of families, stable relationships, uh, and every other activity where we can make our absolute positive contribution to human society and to the fulfilment of human society uh, is a very exciting prospect indeed. And I might just add as well, just taking on board what everyone else has said, that I think that one of the real strengths as someone who's um, probably only been out for less than 10 years um, is recognising the enormous amount of work that has come before yes. me to, you know, make my life 
uh, enormously easy in comparison to be an out gay man, but also uh, not simply just in terms of my sexuality, but in terms of my kind of, uh, you know, ethnicity, my culture. Um, and the fact is, as a community, we not only have seen the increasing uh, addition of, you know, different letters to the acronym, um, and the fact is we're no longer just referred to as a gay community, but an LGBTIQ community and, and, and kind of an expansive community, but also recognising that even within that, we have our various cultural, social, gendered, um, you know, religious differences within that as well. And I think that is an enormous contribution that this community has made to, to broader public debate. And one day, I dream I might be able to walk down the street and hold my husband's hand and know that I'm not going to get assaulted for doing so. All righty. Have we got Alicia Webb? Now, I should mention that we'll, you'll notice quite a, a number of people standing up wearing the equality T-shirts, and that's when someone else has actually asked them to ask their question on their behalf. So, I'll, so it's not that we've just stacked all the questions, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> that, there, that there are. But please no worries, go. My question is, um, what does the panel think the straight community can learn from the LGBTIQ community? I didn't hear that, sorry. What do you think the straight community could learn from the gay, from the G, G, the rainbow community? Let's just go that way. Uh, well, I think that the main thing that the, that the straight community can learn from the, from the rainbow community is that there are no conventions. Uh, you know, that we are all individuals uh, and that we all have the right to live our lives the way we choose to. Uh, and to live them, uh, the, live them the way that we that we can. And I think that the LGBTIQ community really reflects that that there is a diversity amongst us, uh, and that we sh- we should all have the right to live exactly the way we want to, without ju- without being judged or discriminated against. And there's no gender roles to conform to in our house. There uh, are no conventions. Sh- yes, yeah. we have to share the domestic duties. Unfortunately, um, <laughs> we both equally wiped our nappies of our sons behind. <laughs> And I do know that, and I think this is one of the real strengths of, of same-sex uh, relationships, is that um, there tends to be a real honesty in negotiating not only housework and domestic chores, but intimacy and relationships in general, because we've already had to ask the hard questions having to come out. And, and it's much harder having two women living together. Oh, is it? <laughs> I reckon it's much easier. Like to have a housework and, yeah. <laughs> two people that's, do the housework, that's that sounds challenging, fantastic. challenging, you know. <laughs> One lesbian years, you know. <laughs> I think it's a um, month in, in straight terms. <laughs> Sorry. I think a really important lesson is the one that we've already talked about in answer to the previous question, and that is that prejudice and hatred and fear uh, can be defeated. They can be overcome in such a short time, in a blink of human history. Uh, I am asked to speak at a number of different conferences talking about refugees or race issues um, and constantly say, if we can do it, you can do it. Um, that is a really important lesson and fundament- the fundamental part of that lesson in terms of what we have to teach or, or to show straight people is that that is overcome, and I hate to sound like a cliche, but it's true, by the power of love. It's love that defeats all of that hatred and prejudice. That's what we have to teach. I think that um, 
one, just one example of... I've got two thoughts, actually. Um, one that I acknowledge what Tim said a moment ago, that we're getting past, the, or say, the negativities. But I want to go further than neutral, and I think that one way that trans and gender-diverse people can um, add, you know, show some great um, originality and creativity is in this age-old issue of why aren't we having a more proportionate representation of women in the corporate sector and at board levels. And I think trans and gender diverse people have the answer in what I'll call the deeper part of gender expression. I understand, you know, I, I genuinely believe that the corporate sector wants, um, you know, to have e that equal representation. But then they say to women, well, you've got to behave in masculine ways. Make sure you shake hands and affirm I own. Look people in the eye. They're denying feminine expression. And I feel, and for that matter, non-binary, they're denying feminine men. So trans and gender diverse people um, could be able to be really helpful in breaking down that old um, shibboleth. The other thing where I think we could both learn from each other is what the area of sex positivity, communication and consent, because that really goes beyond, goes to all sexual orientations, gender identities, gender expressions. And that's where I see a lot of things happening now. Um, there's been issues that have been, we'll say, the, the tall trees of the forest. Um, but I think, you know, down at the forest floor, there's been these issues sprouting where people are sort of working together. And that's incredibly exciting that we move beyond the negativities and really benefit each other. So I'd, I'd throw those two in. Um, now, as a sign of how much, how much things have changed, we've, of course, got new constituencies within our community that, you know, a generation ago didn't even come into it. Um, with the idea of Rainbow Families Kids. Now, have I got Corin, Corin Nichols Tomlin? Is Corin... Have you got a question for us, Corin? Hi, my name is Corin and I have two mums and two sisters and I recently started high school. At school I hear lots of people saying, that's so gay. When people say that, I know it disrespects every person who is gay and, and it disrespects me and my family because my mums are gay. I was wondering if the panel had any advice on how to combat this. The first way you challenge it is by actually speaking to your teachers um, because in the end, uh, it's about the tone and the standard the school accepts and the tone and the standard which teachers are prepared to work past to have authority in positions of authority uh, to explain to children, other children, why it is that that sort of conduct is unacceptable and that they need to be held to account and the school needs to be held to account. The second thing is that schools are in a position to develop policies uh, or, um, or commitments of mutual respect, and that doesn't just cover issues around sexual orientation, uh, it can cover issues of gender, it can cover issues of race and ethnicity across the board. And rather than uh, uh, perhaps trying to deal with it directly, though you're welcome to do that, I would recommend building those strategies which focus on bringing everybody together and trying to draw the comparisons so that other people realise that when you or your family members are facing challenges or problems... Uh, that it's the same sorts of challenges and problems that can face other people. And that's why everybody has to be treated equally and with equal dignity uh, if you want a harmonious school community where everybody feels safe. 
Corinne, it doesn't just happen in the schoolyard, though it does happen there. It's happened in my life, and I've heard people say it, and I've, um, I choose to turn to them as an adult and say, I'm gay, and I really would appreciate it if you'd use different words. And it does cause them to be quiet. The word gay wasn't around in my day. <laughs> well, it was, but it meant something different, perhaps. Yes. It, it, no, it <laughs> wasn't. Absolutely, it wasn't. Uh, I mean, I was outed in 1951. I was vilified by the press in Melbourne. And the word gay is an Americanism. It came from America. Mm. Indeed. In the late... Well, in the early 60s. Alrighty. Now, uh, for your, uh, your question, it's to do with education. All the changes that I've seen in my lifetime have been through education. We must educate people to accept children of same-sex couples. That's basically what it's all about. All righty. Now, we might move on to the, the issue of the moment in terms of the marriage debate, which is dominating so much of the political space um, around rainbow issues at the moment. Um, I believe we've got questions from Simon Crouch and Rod Ritchie. Can I get both of your questions and then we'll go to the panel? Thank you. Um, how can the Australia Equality Party proactively reassure wavering voters that marriage equality is not simply the thin edge of the wedge, with other less socially acceptable variations of the meaning of marriage waiting in line? That's a loaded question. One second, I yep. think. Can we, can we hear from Simon, yep, Simon. as well? So in in explaining the recent decision of the U.S. Supreme Court to support marriage equality, Justice Anthony Kennedy wrote, No union is more profound than marriage, for it embodies the highest ideals of love, fidelity, devotion, sacrifice, and family. In forming a marital union, two people become something greater than they once were. Their hope is not to be condemned to live in loneliness, excluded from one of civilization's oldest institutions. They ask for equal dignity in the eyes of the law. Do we risk stigmatising other forms of relationships and family forms by so fervently raising marriage to such a high status? Well, the the statement of marriage in Australia as a marriage celebrant is not as lofty as that. It kind of sounds parental and a bit demeaning when you um, describe marriage in a ceremony. Um, But marriage is not the, the ultimate or the only way to express a relationship. And it's also not, if gay people are allowed to be married it's not then in a slippery slope where we suddenly want to marry our animals. Each social change and social movement is independent of another and um, all we're asking for is for people to be treated equally, whether you choose to marry someone of the same sex or the opposite sex. And I think the definition of marriage, while we even have it with our monotum here in Australia, um, to the exclusion of all others voluntarily entered into for life, but with 30 plus percentage of marriages failing, We don't uphold our own standards there, and I think marriage has evolved, and it's whatever you really wish it to be when you make a commitment to that other person, something worth championing. And so it's something I think it needs to happen, Rod, for us to be equal and to be treated equal, but certainly it's not something that everybody has to buy in, and it doesn't demean any other family construction or relationship construction. 
There's um, when the uh, uh, when I helped set up the Gay Liberation Front in 1969 in America, in New York, uh, same-sex marriage was on our list, but it wasn't as important as it appears to be today. I think there should be a law whereby two people of the same uh, sex can get married and uh, bring their children up exactly the same way. To be, to realize that they're equal. Sally, did you want to jump in? Yeah, <clears throat> a couple of thoughts. I, I want to pull one phrase out of the US Supreme Court ruling, and that's that phrase, to live in loneliness. I, I really have to say, when I read that, I felt very pathologised. I am someone who identifies in terms of my relationship status as solo polyamory, that I don't... I'm open to multiple ethical relationships, which is polyamory, but I'm not really into a sort of coupled situation. Now, I don't technically, therefore, have a partner in that sense at the moment. I'm not lonely. I'm really happy, and in terms of my relationship status, the happiest I've been in my life. And to add a bit of lightness to it, I'm having a damn good time too, but... <laughs> Safely, of course. <laughs> but I, I have to say I had a bit of a guilty spit when I, I read that, um, the, when the US Supreme Court decision came out. But I also want to say that, um, well, um, in terms of where every time multiple rela ethical relationships comes up, and it's not often defined correctly, people conflate polyamory, polygamy, bisexuality, and that um, gets annoying. But we always hear this phrase, the slippery slope. Well... Quite frankly, I want to visualise banging someone's head into a turnbuckle. That was my obligatory World Wrestling Entertainment <laughs> reference for the night. But I'd only, I'd only pretend to do it. I wouldn't actually do it because I don't believe in violence. <laughs> the, the, the point is, please, can we stop devaluing singles and get away from coupleism? Let's stop devaluing polyamory by talking about slippery slope. Let's treat everyone with respect and dignity and have these debates in a more neutral way than those sorts of already judgmental pejorative terms because that's where I will, in the World Wrestling Entertainment terms, turn into a baddie or a heel if I hear more of that, OK? <laughs> <laughs> there is a very important silver lining to the cloud that is the fact Australia has fallen behind so many other countries on marriage equality. And that silver lining is that we can see what has happened as a result of marriage equality in those other countries. And that speaks to both of these questions. Firstly, we can see that there hasn't been extra privileging of marriage in Canada or the Netherlands or Sweden, as far as I know, uh, or Uruguay or Argentina or wherever marriage equality prevails. It hasn't had that effect. It simply opened up the choice of marriage to people who have been excluded. Um, and the, we can also see that the uh, predictions of those who oppose marriage equality, that the sky will fall in, that according to Cory Bernardi, people will start marrying their pets, <laughs> or whatever it might be, also hasn't come true. All that's happened is that same-sex couples uh, and uh, uh, people in, uh, intersex and transgender people in relationships that aren't currently recognised as marriages have been able to marry. That is what we can see from the overseas experience. And sometimes I get a bit annoyed when I hear people say, oh, it'll have all these terrible effects in Australia, marriage equality will lead to 
radical sexual cultures being wiped out and, and marriage being put on a pedestal uh, and, and, and the demonisation of other relationships or whatever. We have to look to the overseas experience that hasn't happened and it won't happen here. It's a... You can applaud that. You know. There is no thin edge end of the wedge. It's actually complete rubbish. If you go back and look at Australian newspapers in the 1850s, there was actually a lot of discussion about polygamy. It was discussion about polygamy in the Mormon church in the state of Utah. The first major advocacy of polygamy in Australia was in 1938 in a newspaper in Western Australia called The Freeman, and a fellow by the name of Helper from Subiaco proposed the idea that we should have polygamous marriage to encourage the idea uh, of uh, encourage population growth to, growth to deal with the, quote, population issue. The first proposal in hard copy that I can find of anybody advocating for marriage between same-sex couples wasn't until 1972. So the key point here is that um, uh, the discussion around uh, polygamy actually preceded discussion around marriage for same-sex couples. Yet, if you look at the opinion polls in 1990, there was 3% strong support for marriage for same-sex couples and 14% support overall. In that time frame, since then, we've, of course, seen the most recent poll that I've seen, incredible poll, which is now it's around 72 74%. Rodney might be able to correct me, uh, taken last year. I can't think of a social issue that has seen such incredible support in a period or change in support in a period of only 30 years. At the same time, I'm not aware of a single opinion poll that tests the public sentiment towards polygamy for no other reason than because nobody really seems to support it that I've found apart from a, a few people uh, uh, here and there. Certainly not in terms of the broad base of public support. Now, there may be people in polygamous relationships, I don't judge people on that, but it's a completely different issue. It has nothing with relation to whether same-sex couples can get married. In fact, when I go and speak to religious communities about this issue in sometimes challenging environments, I remind them when they make that argument, not only of the facts, but equally that um, nobody really seriously denies, unless you think homosexuals should be locked up, that people don't have a natural yearning to want to be able to live with somebody else and build stable relationships that provide the foundation of families, whether heterosexual or homosexual. And this is on the point of whether we risk stigmatising other types of relationships by prioritising marriage. The answer is yes, because traditionally marriage has been uh, the bedrock of a stable relationship and society has held that up as something that matters. And they believe it matters because it provides a foundation of family and everything that goes beyond that. And I don't think we should be afraid of that. Some people will disagree, but that's my very strong view. Sorry. It's why I call it the ultimate conservative victory. Of course. Well, I think the stumbling block with people of my generation is the actual word marriage. Mm -hmm. If it's the ultimate conservative victory, Tim... Why is it that our conservative government is afraid to even allow it to go to vote in the parliament? And then on the other side of politics, on the left side, Will, why yesterday do they decide to delay it to 2019 to being a binding vote around marriage, which is a positive forward move, but they've allowed to have... They, they, they must bind when it comes to asylum seekers, but when it comes to marriage equality, which is a human rights issue equally, they're allowed a free choice, why are both sides languishing behind the 72% who say we should have equality in this country? Do you want to go first? 
you go. So technically the ALP position is the same as the Greens position. Both parties support marriage equality in their platform, but give their MPs the opportunity to vote with their consciences, whatever that means. I don't agree with it in the ALP because the ALP is a party that binds. The ALP is probably the only party that technically binds, and they don't bind on two issues, abortion and marriage equality. So I don't personally agree with it, but I would say it's not a particularly ALP thing, that the Greens have the same position. Their platform says we support it, but our MPs have the opportunity to vote in another way if they want to. Um, it doesn't te technically delay it, so what they said at the same time at the national conference was that if the ALP were elected, they would bring on a vote in the first 100 days, and the great vast majority of ALP MPs would vote in favour of it. It's just that they leave this small group, as I say, I don't agree with it, but they leave a small group with the option to say, we will not vote in favour of that. I'm not a representative of the government, but my view is uh, not only that it is an ultimate conservative victory, but I think some people actually aren't being conservative on this. If you actually look at the foundational principles of liberalism and conservatism, one of the most basic bedrock principles is equality before the law. And there are plenty of people, and it's across the political spectrum, who are selective on those applications of those basic principles. Um, and no doubt if the people think they're of value, they will judge accordingly at the election. That's why we need an independent voice to speak for ourselves without compromise and come up with 30 pages of things that need to happen for us to be fully included in the society and have that voice, just like your Cory Bernardis and your Penny Wongs and everyone else gets a chance to speak. We should speak for ourselves and not wait around. No, Jason, major you're report. jumping ahead. But you're I, jumping I, ahead. I think there are many more important issues facing the LGBTI community than same-sex marriage. It will come. Absolutely. And in fact, that was the question we were going to move on to next. Now, have we got Matt Ether had a question? Don't, you don't have... Okay. Have you got a copy of that? Um, so the question that, that Matt registered went, went to the effect of marriage being a yes or no question and once it's finally passed does that mean it's the end for at the end for the, uh, for the for equality campaigning that what else needs to be on the agenda and what else needs to be done Sally has yeah. Yeah. oh no we ain't over the rainbow we're barely really overall climbing up one side and I I would like to think that every issue is important, that trans and gender diverse people having adequate documentation is important, that trans and gender diverse people having health care, that bi people stop being singled out for vilification at Pride March. And whilst I can't speak directly for intersex, I'll honour Tony Briffer, who unfortunately couldn't make it tonight, the fact that these surgeries that destroy intersex lives are still happening. But on it goes, let's talk about other things like consent and communication in relationships. Let's talk about something else, that we need to make sure we never have another police officer again blame a woman for being attacked, because to me that's about gender equality as well. There's a hell of a lot, and I think what we need very quickly 
because, yeah, we're getting close to getting marriage done, is I feel we need like a, what I'll call an LGBTI rainbow and queer positive sort of summit strategic planning couple of days. don't know where we get the funding from. I'll look at Tim because you're in the government. But um, this is where I, f- I feel there's a lot of issues and I think they're all important. We're, and I feel if... I'm going to have to say this. If there's been an issue with marriage, it's not so much the issue itself... It's that it's sort of been said, well, we're going to be the number one issue and they're all important and I feel we need to get some sort of communication going to make sure we work together and communicate solidly so that they can all get on the table in the future. Yeah, I agree. Um, Yeah, thank you. Very much so. I mean, I think, unfortunately, there is always going to be discrimination uh, in in society and there's always going to be discrimination against minorities, unfortunately. And and so the fight against that will, will continue. Um, and in, on all those sorts of, of areas that um, Sally's talked about. But I do think that the, uh, that the achievement of marriage equality will be extremely significant. Um, I've, you know, many of the panellists have touched on it already. Because it, it, it will say to Australian society at large that, um, that gay and lesbian people are equal <laughs> and in a very significant and loud way. Uh, that everybody can understand because most people in Australian society have experience of marriage. And, and once that is achieved for, for gay and lesbian, for same-sex couples, uh, I think that will really open, open the whole thing open. Uh, it'll, it'll crack this nut uh, of, of discrimination against uh, GLBTIQ people uh, and it will, put, it will lay all those issues on the table for discussion and for being addressed in a much more forthright and open uh, and, and non-discriminatory way. I hope you're right, Christine, because I worry... You look at um, women being allowed to vote and being fully equal, well, they're still not equal some, what, 100 years later. Uh, Indigenous Australians only equal. voted in 1970, I think, for the first time in Australia, and they are still suffering. Um, well, as I say, as yeah, I said, uh, I Jason, so. there, there will always be discrimination and there will always be a lot of work to be done. Uh, but I, you know, I'm, I'm like Tim. I'm an optimist, and I, I really think that the, that the achievement of marriage equality will change the landscape of, of how discrimination against people in this community, anyway, uh, uh, you know, is uh, is tackled. Then we can get on with the other issues. Yeah, exactly. And, and they our, will always yeah. be there. And our party they are spent still to be overcome. Eighteen months consulting widely, Sally, and you're one of the persons we consulted with. Um, and we came up with uh, twenty areas and 30 pages without any waffle of areas for LGBTIQ full inclusion in Australia, and marriage was one paragraph. It'll never end. There's a lot of work to do, and, and, you know, whether it's... Nobody's disputing there's a lot of work to do. What we've dealt with is the headline issues by and large, and that's a fundamentally good thing. There is some work still to do around headline issues, particularly around reforming law, but we are thankfully at the tail end of that. Uh, I acknowledge Rowena, uh, who's here, who's the new Gender and Sexuality Commissioner, who I don't want to speak on her behalf, uh, but is focusing at the Victorian government level around dealing with the programmatic elements of addressing issues of unjust discrimination that still exist for gay and lesbian people within the Victorian government. Some people may be aware that I recently released a report looking at the broader national issues or the consistent issues that pop up across the states looking at both the programmatic issues as well as the issues around policy uh, that exist across the country. Because once you get past law, there are so many other things that need to be done to change cultures within institutions and structures uh, within society. 
just to achieve that basic level of dignity and respect. One of the ones that I'm looking at very strongly and seeking to change is issues around mental health services to make sure simply that when somebody who has an issue, whether it's uh, around their gender or their sexual orientation, and goes to a counsellor or a psychologist, psychiatrist, goes to somebody who actually can assist them with their basic needs and basic interests and issues, um, and they have sufficient training or education. If they don't, they know how to refer to, because Sally's already talked about and could talk about at length about the fundamental problems that exist for trans people and the absence of access to services um, and, uh, uh, and, and skills and knowledge and training those people are providing services. And let's not try and kid ourselves. It's not all out of malice. A lot of it has to do with the fact that there isn't the academic work that sits behind it, or the practitioners specialising in that area, or if they want to specialise in that area, they can get the knowledge and the access in education and training to do so. The cause of human history is to constantly challenge issues of injustice and to go on the long march of human history towards uh, making us a more perfect society. Marriage won't be the end of that discussion. There are so many other things that we all have to work on into the future. But when it's achieved in law as the basic principle, then we can address the other areas of what are called informal equality to build a more perfect, more perfect society. And I would just um, also add to that, I mean, I think part of the challenge for us is also making room for these, these conversations as, as we're doing uh, tonight. I remember when I worked at the Gay and Lesbian Rights Lobby uh, in New South Wales, um, we were doing some work around uh, asylum seekers and I was having an informal conversation with someone and they said, oh, why are you doing work on refugee policy? That's not a gay rights issue. Okay. And I was just kind of taken aback for a moment because apparently the assumption was, you know, asylum seekers and heterosexuality go hand in hand. Um, and, um, and so for me, that was a real reminder that even within our community that, you know, marriage occupies such uh, space uh, in our conversations. And that's, you know, that's a consequence of the, you know, media headlines and, and so on. But I think within our communities as well, what we should be doing is well, is really recognising that there are so many other issues there, starting those conversations, because we won't be able to address all these other issues, you know, once we achieve marriage, if people are so quick to dismiss, not out of malice, but simply because of the assumptions that they hold behind, you know, putting all their energy, all their momentum around this idea that marriage equality is the sort of final political achievement for, you know, the quote-unquote LGBTI community, when really, as we've just heard, there are so many things we you should know, be doing. You know, we're in danger of turning the question of marriage equality into something that everyone is going to dismiss totally. It's become boring, and it'll go on and on and on. And then the it'll happen. Done, the sooner <laughs> it's there, yep. then we can get on with other things. And, you know, I think that actually, to add a, a touch of optimism to what I'm now looking at the generational age of our panel um, and one of the things that I'm struck by by the extent of the generational change is I, I teach at the Defence Force Academy which has got to be the single most conservative place in Australia um, and I am stunned at the extent to which first year soldiers are prepared to out themselves to their colleagues and the extent to which their colleagues don't care that actually the extent of change has been, you know, I'm regularly taken aback by that. Um, and I'm conscious that there's, you know, there's a number, there's a generation that is coming, coming through behind us who really, someone was actually talking to me about this in the pub the other night and saying that, look, one of the things she dislikes about some of these debates is that her experience has been that she hasn't hit any problems, 
that actually her experience has been, to, a, to the age of 22, 23, has been problem-free. And I think that notion of, because there's older generations who've been through incredibly traumatic stuff, there's middle generations for whom things were getting a lot better, and there's a younger generation out there who are having an experience that doesn't, you know, that's really radically different well, it's in actually, it's some actually parts of the country. That. It's actually better than that. And this is kind of what I was trying to infer before, which is what we've actually done is change society around us. And, you know, it doesn't happen so much in Victoria anymore, but it still happens in some parts of the country where, you know, you get a 16- or 17-year-old that wants to take their same-sex partner to their school formal, and they get told no by some, someone in the structures of the school, the hierarchy of the school, and it's, they normally accept it, actually. It's the other kids that don't. They go on protest until the school backs down. And it's actually everybody else that's starting to realise that this is a fundamental problem. But as much as we have achieved that, and that is fantastic for those kids, I don't think we can, and I'm not suggesting anyone is, but discard the incredible contribution of those people who were there before, who led that change and who prompted and instilled that basic principle of respect that is now carried through um, by heterosexual people when they see the most basic forms of injustice. I just want to stand up for a moment for the marriage equality debate. I hear some speakers uh, talk about that debate almost as if they regret that it's happening or resent that it's got such a high profile. In the last few weeks, I've been to Nowra and uh, uh, Gosford and the other... Goulburn and uh, out east here to Berwick uh, and to Launceston to talk about marriage equality with people who never in any other context talk about LGBTI issues. Groups right. of people like this, you know, 100, 150 people in town halls who have got together because they want marriage equality, they want their LGBTI friends, family and uh, co-workers to have equality. They've never engaged with our issues before and for the first time they're talking about it. How anyone could possibly resent that or think that that's a bad thing or that we need to focus on other issues completely confounds me. That's not to say that we shouldn't be focusing on other issues. In the last, in that same time, at home in Tasmania, I've done work on the expungement of criminal records for for uh, gay men in the past on. Uh, legislation to criminalise reparative therapy for children, on the issue of gay blood donation, on the issue of uh, trans recognition in official documents in Tasmania, um, on uh, uh, challenging homophobia in Tasmanian schools. I've done all that stuff, and yet I still work on marriage equality. If I can do it, so can all of us. We can walk and chew gum. We can do all of these things together, but we should never regret the fact that marriage equality at this very moment is transforming this nation into a better place for us all to be. Right, right. I really agree with you. I think this is extremely important, much more important than I think that some of the other speakers here think. Because if I look at Sweden, and it's not that long ago that we have this... uh, law, it was 2009, same-sex marriage. And it has been extremely important for other people, other gay people, other young children like Corinne who asked a question, if you can see that this is something that the society accepts. I know that there are other issues that have to be solved, but this is something 
really crucial. And Sweden used, used to sometimes be regarded as a paradise for questions like this. But this was really a milestone when it was accepted by the government, by the politicians, etc., and media. So this is really important. Thank you. Isn't marriage equality for us really just an anti-homophobia campaign that's got an outcome? And for us, aren't we really... Uh, I mean, there, there might be some... For, I don't do the we crave to well of loneliness business, you know, that we do. I'm, not, I'm not for that. But I do think, isn't, what, wouldn't that moment be for us as a community when they introduce marriage equality and it's accepted? Is that not then for us a significant and symbolic moment of acceptance? Yes, it is. Of iconic yes. acceptance? Yes. And then, doesn't that just mean then that from a position of acceptance, we can go to the next fights? But we can do that, secure in the knowledge that somewhere along the way, that battle and that line, you, you gain a foothold. If we are climbing the top of Everest, at least marriage equality is the foothold from which we cannot then be pushed back, and then we go to the next battle. But it's not... Marriage isn't about necessarily I wish, although I am engaged. Very exciting. <laughs> It's actually quite recent, it's quite new. We're very excited, we're picking dresses. <laughs> I'm not picking a dress, but apparently we're picking dresses. So I'm just putting that out there. Um, so that is important, but it is not... Marriage is, you know, this question around do we risk stigmatising other forms of relationships? Marriage is for us, I think, or at least for the majority of us, it's a moment of acceptance. And then we move to the next thing. And I'm sick. I'm more concerned with the number of hate crimes against uh, transgender women. Uh, particularly the murder rate in America is very high. Um, I just long for marriage equality because I can't make fun of our Irish and Kiwi friends anymore. <laughs> there it is, part one of the Are We Over the Rainbow panel recorded on 27 July 2015 at the Darabin Entertainment Centre. And remember, we'll have part two of the Are We Over the Rainbow panel when we catch you on Out of the Pan next week. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.